Thanks for listening to the River City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church community and how you can be a part, visit us online at therivercitychurch.org. So awesome. So excited uh, to be with you this morning. First, wanted to celebrate, man, what an incredible um, holiday season it has been. Last week, I didn't really celebrate too much, but uh, on Thanksgiving week, we hosted uh, our first, we, we just call it refugee, refugee Thanksgiving. We turned it into a community Thanksgiving, and there was people from all different backgrounds here, all different, uh, from different countries, people from uh, different religions here. There was well over, I think 175 served the meal and 200 plus people running around this building doing all kind of awesome things that you guys doing that. Thank you so much um, for making that happen. And then um, last weekend, again, you guys showed up in a big time as we converted this place to the Batavia Apartments Christmas party and gift mart with over 200 people served. A meal and parents went shopping for their toys. I love this, that it was not... The, not River City Church that was just uh, celebrated on that day. No, the parents snuck back there, picked out gifts for their kids, had them wrapped, put them in their car. So on Christmas morning, the parent is awesome. The parent is the winner because sometimes in our heart of charity, when we go to do something charitable, we actually end up hurting instead of helping. And I love that the heart behind that is that the parents were the winners. So that is amazing happening there. I'm telling you, I'm just like, man, we are strong in number, but big in heart and big in serving and big in giving. So I just thank you guys for doing that. And Hey, listen, I know that this is a week that people are running around getting into the walnut room and got to go see the Christmas things and all this, people scattered everywhere. Next weekend is our big Easter services, so I encourage you to continue. Did I say Easter? I'm, well, they're kind of connected. <laughs> yes, there we go. A big Christmas that follow the sign, not me. <laughs> <laughs> big Christmas services uh, next week. So we have two, the 22nd at 10 a.m. and 23rd at 7 p.m. Encourage you to come serve at one, come attend another, bring friends, bring family. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. So, so many things going on. So now into my message, continuing in our Comfort and Joy series. My title for today is The Complications of Christmas because I just want it to be real festive and holly and eggnoggy, right? So we're just going to call it the complications of Christmas, because the truth is, you and I both know this, is that Christmas can be complicated. I mean, you just got Christmas, you've got to do your shopping, you've got, you got family in close proximity, and there's this person, and there's that person close, and it's Kevin, look what you did now, you little jerk, and you're such a disease, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula, there's, there's all of that, and there's these people coming uh, over, and you're like, well, I mean, I, that, that person's coming, and that person's coming, and we can't have them sit next to the, at the dinner table, because it's going to be Trump this, and Trump that, and you know, this person's for the wall, and this person's against the wall, and they, this person loves whales, and, and wants to save whales, and this person wants to, it's like, hates whales, it's like, there's all these conflicts that can happen around the, these families getting together and it's like it's it's meant to be this wonderful time but we make it complex with filling our schedules with so many things and and it's complicated right Christmas is complicated but that's actually not what I'm talking about because all of that stuff all of that stuff that we complicate our lives of having to get a gift for every single person that we know and having to fill our calendar that's on us like we fell for the trap 
We tricked ourselves into doing that, and we tricked ourselves into to what we think Christmas is. When I talk about Christmas is complicated, I'm talking about the OG Christmas, like the, the original Christmas going on of how complex that one was. I mean, where you got Mary and Joseph. Mary's pregnant from the Holy Ghost, right? Um, and, and Joseph has the, it's his told that he has to go to his hometown to pay a tax bill. And, you know, I mean, and it's like no trains, planes, or automobiles. It is like they got to hoof it there, you know? And she's like major pregnant, like, like that kind of pregnant area, right? Like that's what's going on. And that is like a complex story. And like, man, it is, it is just crazy. And listen, you ever read the Christmas story in, in any part of the Bible and you would go, okay, God, you had like thousands of years to plan this. Like thousands, you knew this was coming. Like, you got kind of sloppy on the details, God. Like, you could have made this a little bit easier for them to, to see this about, right? And, and, like going, and, and sometimes, even in this time of, of our complexities of our life, we look at our own life and go, God, I know you got a plan, but you're a little sloppy on the details. Can you, can you make it a little bit clearer of where we're going? Because, man, if my life was a movie, I'm trying to figure out, is, is, is my storyline a tragedy? Is it a comedy? Is it a romantic comedy? Like, like what genre does my life fall into because of why it's complex? And we have a hard time seeing God's overarching plan in all that he is doing. And so from what we see in the Christmas story and what we see across the Bible, we see that it is in fact that God has a plan. It is in a magnificent plan. And the thing is that when we are up in front of it, we don't see the plan. We just see here. And God is seeing from the beginning to the end, from the beginning of time into eternity. He's seeing what your life from the beginning to the end until you walk into eternity. He's got this master plan going on and you're so focused right here you're going, God, I don't see what you're doing. Where's the plan? How is this going to come together? So stick with me, and I think we're going to see that God has a plan, even in the complications of Christmas. Even in the complications of Christmas. And again, it becomes this normal story. You know, like, like my kids have heard the Christmas story every year since they've grown up. So last, I mean, it's been like four or five years. We go through this um, most every night during the Advent series uh, season. And each night you, you open the book and you read a different part and you open a door and it goes to this and isn't this cool? And isn't that just so awesome that we do this awesome devotion together? Yeah, it's not as amazing as you think. It started amazing, but then there's like becomes fighting of who gets to open what door and read which one. And there's all this like tension that can rise up. Some nights it's awesome. Some nights it's like, Damien, you cannot sin during devotion. Right? Um, <laughs> any parents ever been there before? Like, we're going to praise God at this time. And uh, because Christmas is complicated. But so this last week, we were going through our Advent book there and reading through it. And, and my wife, Nancy, said something to um, like, isn't, isn't this story just amazing? Isn't it incredible? And one of my kids, I won't rat out which one it was. He just says, yeah, uh, it's all right. I think it's kind of boring. Like, what? Kind of boring. Now, this, is our, this one's very honest. In fact, last week, when we've had all of these activities and all these things going on at church, um, my wife was explaining, like, hey, t- next Sunday, we've got this long day. We're going to be there all day with these different things. And this is what he says. He goes, when I grow up, and I'm just going to go to church. I'm just going to show up when it starts. I'm going to wear what I want, and I'm going to leave. I'm just going to be a customer. 
I'm just going to be a customer is what he said. So, oh man, I ratted him out. All right, so, um, so, here they're, 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 so here's my kids. They are burnt out on church. They've heard the Christmas story so many times. They don't think that it's fascinating. So I was like, all right, we are jumping into this and we're going to show you a part of Christmas that you maybe never thought of. Thought of. So I opened up. I said, no, we're not going to Luke. We're not going to Matthew. We're going to Revelations chapter 12, somebody. All right, so I open it up and, and I'm reading to them as, you know, of like this story, and here we go. So, you know, you thought that Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem was complicated and confusing and odd, right? You thought that was difficult, and Joseph made the biggest first dad blunder ever and forgot to get on Priceline before he went on the trip and get a hotel. You thought all of that was complex. Wait until you hear this, Revelation 12. All right, here it is. A great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with his iron iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the wilderness, to the place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Merry Christmas, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones version, right? You should see some of your faces like, what are you talking about? My kids are like, what? No, who? What? What is this about? Like, what's going on? Yes, so this is what's what's happening on Christmas that you don't see with your natural eye, but this is what's happening in the spirit realm. There is this fiery red dragon with seven heads coming to eat a baby, and there's this woman. This woman represents Israel. This woman represents Mary, and the 12 stars upon her head are the 12 tribes of Israel. God's called chosen people, and who he's going to bring redemption to the world, and the dragon Dragon. The dragon rep- represents Satan. And a verse later, it says that his only desire was to destroy the Christ child. Now, <laughs> you guys are like, whoa, where is he going with this? Revelation is this book of, it's known as a book of prophecy. Prophecy, there's prophecies all throughout the Bible. And, and the Bibles have these prophecies that are spot on. And I think like one of the best ways to say what a prophecy is, a prophecy tells history before it happens. Like it, it tells what's going to happen. And so man, maybe you're here and you struggle with whether the Bible is real, whether it's reliable. I just wanna ask you, compared to any other religion's holy book, which other book tells history before it happens? Which one tells what's going to happen and it happens exactly like that? Prophecy is this way that God gets so, especially in the Christmas story, he gets so in the details of telling it, it's God saying, you know, it's his way of saying eight ball corner pocket right? Like he's calling what's going to happen. And he doesn't just act so when it happens, it's not like this, oh, accidental shot, he made, the, he made it. No, it's exactly as it was meant to be. The Christmas story alone, the birth of Christ is estimated to have 300 unique prophecies about it. 
and like really weird specific stuff, like really down to it and don't have time to explore all of it, but it's like, it's beyond God just saying eight ball corner pocket. It's like bounce it off the wall, off the moose head, off the corner pocket, into the hole is what God is doing. So like, you're like, dang, that was you, God. Like we cannot deny that he's doing this. So at the point that Jesus comes on earth, all this stuff, all these Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled, like one after the another. Methodically, God is doing this at the exact same time. And while that is happening, to fulfill these prophecies, at the same exact time is a dragon trying to eat a baby while God's fulfilling every Old Testament divine prophecy in the new, in the old and new. That is why it gets so complicated. So with all this in mind, let's read back to Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 and we will see that there is this this this, this as it's this holy night and it's all wonderful stuff that we that we love to celebrate at Easter that at that same point is this someone else that is heavily agnet, uh, just, just 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 wants to stop Christmas and he's the most powerful person in the country at that time. So This is shortly after the wise men had just been there visiting Jesus, giving their gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, rump-a-dump-bum, they played their drum, they packed that up, they're on their way out of town, and they're leaving, and this is what it says right here. It says, after the wise men had gone, so they left their gifts, they're like, woo awesome gifts, they're on their way, and it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. What prop, what prop, the prophet Hosea, it's just like this little piece that was said to the prophet Hosea, hundreds of years before of like that he's going, my, I call my son out from Egypt. And he continue, just, hey, let's just continue on this nightmare before Christmas feel that we got going on this morning and go to another really part of the story, Christmas story that's not super cheery. It's not the part that we build our, our nativity scene around. This is like, this is other stuff going on. It says this, that Herod, this king who's in charge that wants to stop Jesus from being born, was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Because he had met, if you read the story earlier, he had met the wise men, they've come there, and he says, I want to find out where they live, where they are, because he, he says, I want to worship him too, not really worship him, I want to murder him, is what he's really saying, you know, that's what he wanted to do. So then this comes out, this part of the Christmas story that is heavy to read. He says, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal acts, brutal actions fulfill what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Now there's another prophet being quoted here, head of Hosea, now Jeremiah. It says, a cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for they are dead. Prophecy fulfilled again. All these pieces coming together. Some of you guys are like, 
does he not see what the screen says? It says comfort and joy. I think he's preaching the wrong sermon here this morning, right? Like this is not what we think of when we think of our nativity scene set up. It's not like we've got Mary, Mo, Mary and Joseph sitting here with the baby and the wise men way over here because they've left. And then we've got all these soldiers coming along this way and coming to kill babies and a dragon above the nativity scene trying to eat the baby. That's not, does anybody have that set up at home? But that's honestly like a little bit more real of what is going on here, right? We like to clean it up and make it all pretty and all this stuff. And so this lunatic king, lunatic king is after Jesus. So my, my first point is, I do have points here today. First one is Christmas is complicated. The second point is God has a plan. God has a plan. And now I know I have a job to do to keep you customers happy today. I need to be encouraging, right? And I've kind of already failed on that part with all the babies died in Rama. Like that part's kind of out the window. And then I know I need to be on time because you got places to be. You got to get to the walnut room. You got to watch I'll shoot your eye out and all that stuff. But I want to show you that God has a plan here and he has a plan here in his word and his story. He has a plan for your life. So point two is God has a plan. God has a plan. Even though Christmas is complicated, God has a plan. God's plan was to send a savior to bring eternal salvation to mankind and to really provide peace on earth, goodwill towards man. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do that by eliminating the power of the devil that damns your and my soul to hell. He's going to come and do that. That's God's plan. God has a plan that he's going to stop what the fall brought. But guess what? Herod also has a plan. Herod has a plan, Herod's plan is pretty basic. Herod's plan is, I gotta kill this baby. I gotta kill a baby that I heard was coming. Herod's plan is very simple, and so he's trying to stop Christmas from coming. And Herod is powerful at this time. He is the king over this area, over this region of Israel. He's actually, in fact, not, he's more so a puppet king than a real king because he is just put under, Rome is really in charge, but they kind of set up these, these smaller kings to kind of tax people and show that they're under their control and, and someone that they thought would kind of influence him. And what's really interesting about Herod is though that he wasn't even actually, even though he's like called like king over Israel, like he was not even Jewish. He was an Edomite and, he, and his wife was Jewish. So he like really like, like grafted in that way by his, by his wife. And so, you know, you, you hear all these interesting things. What do we know? He's Herod the Herod the Great, that's, that's, what, that's how he called himself, Herod the Great. He was all about like, you know, he built these big temples in Jerusalem trying to um, just to get more favor from the Jewish people. He built these big homes. He built this paradise on a mountaintop of Masada that you can look up on Google and see. And he took power like very seriously. He was on an enormous power trip, which is even, even more exacerbated by the fact that historians tell us that he was a short man. So we're talking about a Lord Farquhar complex that this man has going on. So that's what I want you to picture when you think of King Herod, is this guy right here, right? And so he is Herod the Great, which he was all down for that name, but there was actually another name that he really liked to have. And that was King of the Jews. 
He really liked to be called king of the Jews. And some of you are going, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that statement before? Well, that was written on three languages on a plaque that was put above Jesus on the cross because Jesus was, as the Bible prophesied, and Jesus actually was the real king, the long-awaited king of the Jews. And so when Herod hears that a king has been born, now he's angry. He's upset. He has to control his power. And he will do whatever he has to do to stop that from coming. Because he's a lunatic. He's psycho, right? Because he's like, there's no room on my throne for this baby. And he's willing to even kill all of the boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem and in that region to stop him from coming. And some of you go, wow, what a sicko. How, who could do this? And what's crazy, if you read about the history of Herod, this was like, again, this was no normal guy. This, I mean, this guy, this guy had his two sons butchered because he was fearful and thought that they might try to take his throne. He was, he was continuously like just worried and thinking about someone's coming to take my power. I have, the, I have this throne, I have this control, and someone's going to, and I'm going to kill anyone that tries to do it. He ends up even killing his own wife that made him Jewish, you know, and his brother-in-law and eventually his mother-in-law. So the, go, the saying goes on to say that it was better to be Herod's pig than to be his relative. Why? Because Herod wouldn't come to men's breakfast because we serve bacon. Jewish people don't eat bacon, so that's why it's better to be his pig than to be a family member, all right? So this guy is crazy. He's this tyrant. Yet, Herod is not in fact the dragon that I read about in Revelation. He might think that his, this whole plan that he has to stop baby Jesus from coming was his idea and originated from him. It did not. It did not originate with him. He was just another pawn being played in the hand of the devil. In fact, this, this, this dragon has been going about this since Genesis chapter three. You read about the Christmas story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, now you know Revelation. It actually begins in Genesis chapter three. The Christmas story right after they fell, right after they chose to partake of this fruit that God told them not to. They chose their own way over God's way. They allowed sin in. And then God says, hey, this curse has come because of it. And he's kind of like showing what these curses are happening to man, to woman, to the serpent, right? You remember that story? And God speaks a prophecy about what he's going to do to fix it. And the, fa- the fix, the answer, is the Son of God. Jesus is coming. And he even hints right there at the beginning. The Bible is fascinating. Even hints to the virgin birth when he said, man is going to be born of the seed of a woman. Okay, now for everyone that go back to sex ed, remember, sex ed class, does the woman, supp- no, the woman supplies the, the egg and uh, the sperm, the, the seed comes from the man. So here he is alluding to the virgin birth all the way from Genesis chapter three that this was going to be in fact a human that would be fully God and fully man. 
That's Christmas. That's incarnation. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And he turns to the snake, the one who deceived the woman, the one who tricked him, the one who says, he says, the Messiah that's coming, my son that's coming, you will strike his heel, snake, but he's going to crush your head. Woo, yes. The heel, the heel, that, 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 what that means is that the, the, the serpent is going to, going to attack the Messiah when he comes. He's going to. But while he's just getting his heel, he's going to, he's going to deal with the snake like a snake has to be dealt with. He's going to go for the head. He's going to take off his head. That's what the Messiah is going to do all the way prophesied from Genesis chapter 3. All right. Now, just trying to think of a way of like, what is that like to be the serpent to know you're going to get your head crushed? While I was writing this sermon, I got a text from some number that I don't know because everybody in the world has my number because I've had it so long. Some of you guys think it's the church phone number. No, it's in fact my cell phone. All right, thank you very much. But, uh, <laughs> but I get this text and it says, hey, Pastor Damien. And I go, who this? New phone, right? Like, um, <laughs> um, no, not new phone, but anyway. <laughs> um, so it writes, writes back and, I, and I'm going, okay, now normal terms, like what if I get this text from someone? I say, hey, Pastor Damien. I say, hey, who's this? He goes, hey, on Thursday, I'm going to crush your head. I just get this message from someone that I'm going to get my head crushed on Thursday. And I'm going, I got my work to do. I got to take care of my kids. I got to do some stuff. I got to not get my head crushed on Thursday. Who sent this? Who's coming that's coming to crush my head? I don't know who's coming to crush my head. And so it's going to occupy me in my mind quite a bit of looking out for who's going to crush my head. And that's what Satan is doing. He doesn't know how God's going to do it, but he knows that he's going to get his head crushed. And he was there when the prophecy was spoken. He says, from, from, from Eve, someone coming. So he gets to work right away. Going to go through some Bible stories here. He gets to work right away. Cain and Abel? Why does he have Cain kill his brother Abel? Because he's afraid of getting his head crushed. He's like, I got I to cause dissension between these. I got I to gotta plant a seed here because the, seed, uh, the, the sun might crush my head. So if I kill one of them, I might not get my head crushed, right? And then, 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 then he's listening to the prophecies of God and hears that it becomes more direct that, that, that it's, did he calls Abraham out to be the chosen people that came from you, Abraham, from your descendants is going to be the savior of the world. So now what does the dragon do? What does Satan do? He starts focusing his attacks specifically towards Israel. That's why, you know, even though all this great things, he starts focusing his efforts. That's why we read about Joseph. Joseph saves all of Egypt from this great famine. And then years later, one day Pharaoh wakes up and goes, you know what I want to do today? I want to build some more pyramids and I want to kill some Jews. Was that him? That was the dragon trying to not get his head crushed in. That's why they started throwing babies into the Nile, because the serpent was trying not to get his head crushed in. And then you read on, and God gets more specific, and he says, it's going to come from the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so now he starts to focusing his efforts on the, the, the one family of the 12 tribes of Judah. He starts focusing, trying to take them out, trying to defile them. And then he's like, and then it's going to be of the line of King David. 
that this is going to come from him. So why in the world does one day Saul go, hey David, you killed Goliath, you married my daughter, you fought my battles for you, I think I'm gonna kill you and start throwing spears at you. Why? Because the serpent is trying not to get his head crushed in. Then you come to the story of Esther. One day, this guy named Haman just wakes up and goes, you know what, King Xerxes? I think that we should build this great empire and we should just start killing Jews. Right? They start killing Jews. And, and he's working hard behind that and all this stuff. But then this guy, Mordecai, that's quick thinking, and this brave woman named Esther steps up and stops the plan of the enemy again. Each time, because the enemies would have, he wanted to stop that from the garden until the cradle, until the manger, he's been trying to stop the sun from coming because he doesn't want to get his head crushed in. That's the history of the Bible. That's the history of humanity. Is a fiery red dragon is at every attempt of anti-Semitism in the world. I sat down with someone last week trying to, they're, they're talking about how they could rationalize and justify how Adolf Hitler got to thinking the way that he does and did such horrific things. It was not this chain of events. It was the fiery dragon trying to stop the nation of Israel because God still has plans and there's still prophecies concerning the nation of Israel and the Jewish people today. Come on, there were 300 prophecies of Jesus' first coming as a child. There is 700 prophecies about his coming again and his new coming. And that's what we anticipate and look forward to. That's why we have comfort. That's why we have joy. Because he's not done. He's going to fully crush the, the Satan, right? Amazing, crazy Eight ball corner pocket stuff, right? He says one day when, in Isaiah 11, God says, in one day I will bring na the, the nation of Israel back. In one day. And on May 14th, 1948, almost 2,000 years after not being a nation in one place, being scattered all across the world and even having a tyrant like Adolf Hitler trying to kill them in one day, 18, May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. Perfectly that way, because God is saying, I'm up to something, I have a plan. That's why we still see today. That's why when you flip on the news, there's this constant dialogue about the small country, smaller than Indiana. Why is the entire world focused on such a small place? Why? Because there's, like, there's all these talks, let's kill Israel, let's wipe Israel out, let's get them off the map, because they're Satan is trying to stop his head from being crushed. We're going to talk about this in the new year, that you're going to see that you're in a battle. We're going to get more into this, but the dragon does not want to get his head crushed. And that's why King Herod wants to kill this baby, because now it has become this urgent thing on Satan. He's like, there's a star, there's been singing of angels, I got to stop this thing. Like, he's here, we, it, it's coming, and so we've got to do whatever it takes. And he comes along, he's like, we got to kill, we got to kill Jesus. Does it matter how many babies we kill in the, in the mean of it? No, it doesn't matter to Satan, he'll kill as many as he needs to get not getting his head crushed in. He's fulfilling a prophecy and he's whisked away to Egypt quickly and Herod's plan fails. Jesus is saved. And you read on in Matthew there and it's not, no, it's not Jesus that dies, it's, we read that King Herod died. 
And so now, Joseph, you can get up, take Mary and the baby back to your homeland because Herod is dead. And here's, (laughs) Herod thought that he could stop Christmas from coming, stop the, the Savior from coming. That's what he thought. But here's what God knew, is that through Christmas, he would stop death. He would stop death. Now, this story just been like resonated in me all week and I came across the, this picture and uh, I just think it's this beautiful picture of, uh, put it up there of, uh, of helping explain this from the beginning until the end that God has a plan. This picture was drawn by um, Sister Grace Remington. If you take a few minutes to look at this picture, it, like, it, it just starts to speak to you more and more. You see it and it was captivated by it. First thing that brought to attention is like, these are two well-known women of the Bible, Eve and Mary. Why in the world are they together? They're never together, right? They're never, you don't read a story in the Bible where Eve and Mary are hanging out together. But we see this and, and you look at this connection of the story. You look at Eve and you, you see the despair in her face. The knowledge of her sin and her shame. The forbidden fruit still clenched in her hand. The serpent still has a tight grip coiled around her leg. That same evil that holds so many people captive today. And yet her hand is outstretched towards Mary's belly. Sweet Mary, obedient Mary, compassionate Mary, on her face, she gently comforts the ashamed Eve. The serpent that once held Eve and mankind captive, as we just prophesied in Genesis 3, the baby she's carrying will crush the serpent's head. Not because of who Mary is, but because of who the baby is in Mary's womb. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, Jesus is going to do that. Eve and Mary, two people you wouldn't ever think or talk about in the same sentence. Two people's, two women's stories who are woven together from the very beginning of time, from the fall of man until our savior coming. I just think that shows us that when we celebrate Christmas, that we are celebrating that from the beginning of the fall, that God had redemption in mind, that God had a plan and a purpose. And it's Mary's son, Jesus, who is going to set people free from the power of sin and death and destroying the consequences of sin. That is our savior, that is Jesus, he is the life giver. And this is the poem that goes with this picture. It says, O Eve, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child, through whom all will be reconciled. Oh, Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. The king has come, salvation is here. The death, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Because Jesus has come, the, 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 the dragon did not defeat. And that's 
why this story of Christmas is just extraordinary, powerful, amazing. It is not a boring story. It is complex, complicated in every single way. The devil was trying to do all he could to stop Christmas from coming. And how did he try to stop it from coming? By death. He tries to stop Christmas by coming by death. This is where it gets even more fascinating is that God was stopping death. And how would he do it? By Christmas. But how would Christmas work? How would Christmas, how would he solve the problem of death and sin? Well, that's where it gets so interesting. Because it began with what Herod's plan was. It began, his plan was the death of Jesus. That's what God's plan was the whole time, was the death of Jesus. It's one and the same to put Jesus to death. But God's plan was not Jesus to die as a baby in Bethlehem. God's plan was for him to be in Jerusalem as prophecy had said, and he would be outside the city, a full grown man, 33 years old, of his own will, of his own desire of saying, I am going to the cross for the sins of the world. Not a baby that had no say in the matter. No, he says, no one takes my life from me. I give it willingly and freely. I lay it down. I have the power to pick it up again, but I freely and willingly, voluntarily do exactly what Herod could never do. I give up my throne for you. That was his plan. That was his plan. Herod couldn't give up his measly throne. Jesus, a throne up in heaven, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, there equal with God, comes down, lays aside all that he has, lays aside glory, lays aside being worshipped by angels, and comes and lives among us and willingly dies in my place, in your place, to defeat sin and death. You know what it stinks? Is I don't even have a throne and I try to hold on to mine. Jesus was willing to give up his. Herod wouldn't give up his. And I still like to be in control. I still like to be in charge. But the comfort and joy comes when I say, God, you're in charge. You're in charge. You be in charge. You have your way. Now here, listen, Christmas is not a compliment. It's not. Christmas is saying, God, it's God saying, there's no way for you to save yourself. You cannot save yourself, so I'm going to have my son murdered for you. He sent a savior for each one of us. And it gets even better. He saves us, and then Jesus says, hey, there's room on my throne for you. Why don't you come and rule and reign with me? Why don't you come and walk in my power, in my authority, in my victory? Jesus is like, he's not like Herod. Herod doesn't have any room on his throne. Jesus has got room on his throne and he invites us in. You read on in Revelation, this book that tells history before it happens and some incredible stuff happens. Guess what? We are going to be part of the army of God when once and for all Jesus crushes that seven-headed red dragon 
right? He's going to crush his head and we are going to be there with him. And so some of you need to see this. You go, I'm a believer in Jesus. I follow Jesus. Why is my life so attacked? Why is the devil messing with me and my family? Why is he messing with my head? Why is he bringing depression and anxiety and worry? Why is he doing this stuff? Because you're going to crush his head and he's trying to take you out too. (laughs) He is going to, He's going to get his head crushed. And now as we that have come into the family of God, we have been grafted into the family of Israel, into his kingdom, into his family. And so the devil knows that his days are numbered. Revelation goes on and says, it says he knows his time is short. So he wars against the saints and he goes and he accuses them both day and night. So I want you to see, (laughs) I know this is the weirdest Christmas message you've ever heard, right? But I want you to see that the devil is trying to take you out because he's scared of you. Come on, he is scared of you. He is scared of you because he sees who you are because of what Jesus has done more than you see who you are. All right. But, (laughs) Lord Jesus, Uh, would you guys stand with me? I'm just going to close in a time of prayer for us together. We, worship team, we're just going to cut that last part here. We're just supposed to just pray and spend some time here of, Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that are struggling with real stuff. There's real complexities that are around Christmas. Lord, there is real demonic attack on people's lives where he is speaking into people's lives and trying to get them off track. Lord, I ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help them to see the reason the believer is being attacked is because the devil knows his time is short. And Lord, that is what what Advent is. That is what Christmas is. It is this anticipation of how things are meant to be. It's this anticipation of you came once, you're going to come again. Now, Lord, we just long and we say, please come, Lord Jesus, and have your way and be done with death and sin and disease once and for all. But Lord, until that day comes, we will stand firm as believers in Jesus, as warriors, Lord, as your army, Lord, that you have called us to defeat the works of the enemy, not by our power, not by our might, but because you are living inside of us. Lord, We see that you had prophecies. You fulfilled each one of them. You had a plan the entire time, even though the devil was trying to take it out. Lord, you fulfilled what you said you would do. And because you have done that, Lord, we stand just knowing, God, that you will do the next thing. You will do the next part. And we have trust and hope and belief in that. I thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would speak to every believer in this room and help them to see, God, that you have a plan for their life. You have called them to be part of your family to crush the head of the serpent, Lord. 
Now, Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening to the River City Church podcast. We'd love to hear how God is using River City Church to minister and impact lives. If you have a story to share of how God is moving in your life, send an email to amen at therivercitychurch.org. If you'd like to support our mission financially so we can continue to share messages just like these, you can give online at therivercitychurch.org slash give.